Hello and welcome to another episode of Bring the Podcasts. I'm your host, Luke Thompson. Eric Rupon is with us. Eric, how are you doing? I am doing well today. How are you? Doing well. Doing well. Yeah, you know, it's been a little while. We've kind of been on a hiatus, you know, between the, the bowl loss and the basketball struggles and just... I don't know. I haven't wanted to talk about K-State as much, maybe. But it makes it a good time to bring in the Wichita Eagle, Kansas City Star beat writer, Kellis Robinette. Kellis, how are you doing? I'm doing good. Yeah, let's try and keep this as upbeat and as exciting as we can make it, I guess. Yeah. yeah. Challenge and, accepted. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, right off the top, you know, since I mentioned the two publications, I appreciate that you've been – I noticed your, your tweets a lot. You've been tweeting the links to both of the publications, so people who are – have the subscriptions to either one of those can pick the right link. So that's much appreciated. Yeah, I finally, uh, I know you had uh, kind of asked me to do that. At some point, maybe, I think, like, when I got to the time when, like, 12 people asked me if I could tweet more, <laughs> I was like, all right, fine, people, I'll do it. Yeah, I mean, what you really need to do is get your IT people to, to make it work for both, but that's fine. Well, yeah, that that would be great. There there are a lot of things I wish we could do in that that <laughs> department. Uh, maybe that's uh, you know, maybe they're just saving that for this decade. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There you go. Right. Well, so let's let's go back, start off with with football, and rewind a little bit to the Navy game. You know, I think for me anyway, it wasn't terribly surprising that Malcolm Perry had a big game because he's really good and. K-State's run defense was kind of suspect all year. But for me, the, the, the K-State offense was a little bit surprising. You know, what do you think held them back in that game? Well, a couple things. I would have liked to see how differently things had unfolded. Philip Rose and Gordon Brown been able to catch one of their potential touchdown passes on the opening drive. Mm-hmm. You never know how scoring early maybe opens things up and gives guys some confidence. And that, that never happened, and they never got rolling. They didn't score a touchdown on offense until the fourth quarter when it was, you know, practically too late. So that was the one thing I really would have liked to know. If if they come through with a big play there, does that change the whole set of the game, playing with a lead instead of behind? Maybe Navy has to do things a little bit differently. I don't know. But uh, you, you could blame a whole lot of things. Skylar Thompson didn't have the best game. Courtney Messingham probably didn't have the best game, went away from – what was working, I, I thought maybe he was just a little bit too hesitant to throw the ball and was being a little bit too cautious about giving the ball right back to Navy, and that's why they had maybe more unproductive runs than you probably would have liked when some downfield throws were there. And, you know, it's just a weird game, too. I don't know how much just playing Navy in general threw them out of rhythm because yeah. I know just being there in Memphis and watching it from my perspective, it was – it was hard to follow at times, just as differently as they played. And that third quarter, especially when they held the ball for all but one possession, yeah. was was very odd. And, you know, you'd, you'd like to say that that won't mess with an offense, but I think it kind of did. Yeah. And you were there too, Eric. I mean, did you see some of that as well? Yeah, there was a, it was definitely a strange game. Um, you know, there's definitely some characteristics of that game, specifically with kind of that run for, you know, definitely the running first part of it, as well as the, just uh, like Kellis mentioned, the uh, Navy having the ball for pretty much the entirety of the third quarter. It's almost like they out K-Stated K-State to a certain right. extent. But, you know, I will say this, uh, and, you know, the challenge of keeping this on an upbeat and a positive note, (laughs) our offense was pretty much terrible for the entirety of the game. 
and it still required Navy to score a one touchdown on a quasi trick play, the reverse. Uh-huh. Um, and then it took them to have another trick play at the very end of the game for an end of regula- or an end of regulation field goal to beat us. So, you know, while Mal- Malcolm Perry was definitely difficult to bottle up, I, I forget who said it, but I heard someone describe him as a greased jackrabbit. And <laughs> I, don't, I don't think there's a more apt uh, description of the way he runs the football. At the end of the day, all things considered, we still had a chance to win that football game. And that, I think that's just a testament to, you know, the will and the resolve of the team as a whole. Yeah, yeah, for sure. One thing I talked oh, yeah. about. The, the fight was definitely there, and the fight was there all season. So, if I mean, mm-hmm. there are plenty of positives for Climate's first year, and that was one of them. Yeah, yeah. And we'll get to that a little more. But one thing um, I talked about with my dad was, you know, we were kind of hoping with all the running backs as healthy as they'd been in a while that maybe we'd see that diamond formation that ran all over Oklahoma. But then they never really brought that out. Any idea why maybe we didn't see that or see more creativity in the run game? No, that's a great question. I don't, I don't know. That seemed like a great opportunity for it because, yeah, James Gilbert before the game was saying that, yeah, that was the first. That was going to be the first time that him and Jordan Brown were healthy together. Mm-hmm. They just had messed up ankles for weeks and just that could never get right. And it was going to change this game. And yeah, I'm with you. I thought we'd see the diamond formation. I thought we'd see some trick stuff. And maybe they had that in the game plan, but when they just didn't see the ball for very much, maybe they went away from it. I also would have just liked, as well as James Gilbert ran the ball in the first series, I would have liked to see him maybe get a few more touches. Where instead they, you know, they went with their standard procedure of just cycling in uh, some more running backs, and he didn't really touch the ball the whole rest of the half after running for 31 yards in the first drive. So that would have been a situation where, yeah, you know, if you are going to put some other running backs on the field, why don't you just leave James Gilbert out there anyway and uh, go go three running backs? That would have mm-hmm. that would have been a nice change, I think. Yeah. And then a big, a big question for me, and couldn't really tell watching on TV, so maybe you guys can speak more to this. You know, Skyler obviously spent a lot of time in the pocket. It seemed like he held onto the ball too long a lot of times. Was that more of him, you know, not being confident or not seeing the open guys, or, or were the receivers just covered that well? I think it was probably more of the first thing what you're saying than the second he he definitely seemed hesitant at times he mentioned after the game that maybe really surprised him early on in the game by making it look like they were going with one defense and then backing off and going with another one so I don't know if that got him maybe a little bit spooked and he was just a little too afraid to throw an interception and that's why he was hesitant to throw the ball but there were at least two times in the middle of the game where they had four wideouts in the field and from my vantage point up in the press box, it felt like all of them were open, but Skyler didn't get the ball off. And, you know, part of that was just Navy's D-line was making him move around a little bit. But there were more opportunities for him to throw deep, and I, I just don't think he took him in this game. This was, a, at least from my vantage point, a situation where he was a little bit too cautious. Yeah. Yeah, I think that, I think that was definitely a, a big part of it. You know, I think – Unfortunately, we've seen enough of Skyler to this point where there, there's a whole lot of armchair, armchair quarterbacking going on as well as saying Skyler should do this and Skyler should do that. And he just perpetually is on the wrong side of the fence, regardless of what he does. But, you know, I do think that if I was to really criticize Skyler as a passing quarterback, it would be the fact that he's I think he's at a point right now and it's uh, it's probably entirely mental, but just he's not comfortable trying to fit the ball into tight windows. Like a receiver has to be wide the F open 
for him, to, for, for him to throw the football to him. And that's pro that's probably diving or, you know, causing some of that issue as well. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, that, that's a really great point. And I've, I've wondered if maybe some of that goes back to, you know, his uh, quarterback competition with Alex Delton and always kind of looking over his shoulder. I don't know if part of that's still in his mindset and that he just really does not want to make a mistake because he's afraid, even though there's really nobody behind him to come, you know, take a spot. He's still just worried about that. But that's one thing definitely I'd like to see as a senior if, you know, if he sees a tight window, have some confidence, put it in there. It's okay to throw a pick occasionally. You don't want to be like Phillip Rivers tossing eight a game, but you know, one every once in a while is okay. It shows you're shows you're taking some risk. You know, the one the one thing that I've seen Skyler that really start to back off of it seems like uh, uh, the, as we went along this season was, and it was something that he actually we we all as as fans praised him for his ability to do this. You know, earlier in the season, earlier in his career, was tuck the ball and go if something wasn't there. And we were to my view, he, we're seeing him hold on to that ball, pat the ball a little bit more, run towards the sideline, and then try to get rid of it as opposed to there's nothing there, but I've got a gap, just tuck it and run. He seems very hesitant to actually be a ball carrier unless it's a play designed for him. He, he does like his scrambling to the right. <laughs> yes. He really is falling in love with that. Yeah, and it seems like, too, sometimes he is even hesitant to throw the ball away, like, I remember mm -hmm. one play mm -hmm. where he had two or three chances throw it away, and then he still you know, kind of ran out of bounds and almost threw an interception. So. Well, and he ended up running out of bounds before he threw the ball for right. an interception. Right. So. Yeah. Yeah. So, but you know, even with all that, I, I think Skyler still had, had a solid year. You know, how would you assess his season overall? What kind of grade would you give him? His junior season. Uh, I mean, that's a good question. Maybe maybe somewhere in the B range. I think he improved. I think we saw what, you know, a little faith and trust from your coach will do in the confidence department. He was definitely a more confident quarterback this season. And when he was at his best, he was pretty darn good, I, especially early on in the season. I mean, man, those those first two games when they played, you know, I know it was against lower competition, but Nichols and Bowling Green, wow, he uh, barely even made – I don't know if he made a mistake in those two games, so – uh, you kind of saw the ceiling right there, but that was, uh, you know, playing under ideal conditions where he didn't have to throw the ball unless, like Eric was saying, the dudes were wide open. So that would be the area where he needs to improve next year is, you know, um, can he make a, a pre-snap read and know this is where the open spot's going to be and, you know, kind of Peyton Manning it, three-step drop, just put it in there. That'll be his next step. But, yeah, he's just got to kind of figure out when to run it uh, more consistently, when to throw it more consistently. I think he took a nice step forward this year, but, you know, there's always that stat when you go back to the Bill Snyder days. Senior quarterback with years of experience under his belt pretty much always put up double-digit wins as a senior. And right now he's, uh, you know, his best season is at eight. So I guess that'll be the mark to see uh, <laughs> how much he proves over the course of time. Can he get to nine or ten, or has he already topped out? In the yeah, yeah. Well, and it's going to be tough with all, the, all of his offensive linemen, you know, except for Jeff Fervis <laughs> graduating. So. Right. Uh, but, I mean, so obviously I think, there's no argument it was a great debut year for Chris Kleiman. Not a lot of people predicted eight wins. I don't know if anyone predicted the win over Oklahoma. A lot of good things happened. But with all the seniors graduating, plus the schedule looks like it's going to be tougher. You know, is next year going to be more difficult than this season was? I don't know. You, you think the schedule is going to be tougher? I think it actually kind of sets yeah. up nicely for them. Yeah. Okay. Um, you know, you got the uh, – as long as you can take care of Vanderbilt at home, you're probably looking at a 3-0 start. 
and I, I think the the way that uh, those road home games set up, I don't know uh, how much harder it's going to be. Baylor losing their coach, maybe that's a situation where they could go in and steal one on the road as opposed to last year's where they've lost that game. I don't know that the schedule really scares me too much, but losing all, losing all five starting offensive linemen certainly scares me especially because yeah. they don't have a, a set replacement at either tackle position. I I mean, you could ask me right now what, what I think we could do there next year. I, I don't know. I I think if they could bring in two new tackles and start next year, they'd still try to do that. But they haven't had a whole lot of luck doing that. So, you know, I think they'll still be all right on the offensive line, but I don't think they'll be – like this year, pro football focus had them as the top offensive line of the Big 12. I don't think they'll be that right. anymore. So, yeah, that. They lost some dudes on the D-line too. Yeah, I, I don't know that they'll take a big jump forward next year, but I wouldn't have thought they'd been eight before this year either. Yeah, yeah. Well, I guess with the schedule, and you, you make some good points, but I, I was thinking more of the just the, the balance of five road games instead of four, one of the big things. But but I think it no no you're you're right. I just kind of think the way that those games are set up, some of them are are easier to win on the road anyway. Like. You know, like the Kansas game, I don't know that that really matters where that one is. Um, next year, you get Texas at home, which I think is a big deal. You know, maybe the maybe the big switch is going from Oklahoma home down the road because now then that's a super hard game. But they've traditionally uh, played Oklahoma better in Norman than here. So, yeah, a, a lot of things to, to think about. But, yeah, I don't know if it gets significantly harder, at least in my yeah. mind. Yeah, for, for me, I think the big deal with the schedule next year is I, I think there's a lot of opportunity to, you, you know, we're talking about a basically a brand new offensive line, for the most part, a new defensive line um, and filling holes all over the rest of the team as well. The schedule to me sets up, it's, it's, it's much tougher on the back end. And it sets up to really build some momentum. So I, I think that, uh, you know, you pointed out the Vanderbilt game at home. That's going to be one to circle. But I could see building up some momentum and having these guys at 5-1 and one or 6-0 and oh, before they really hit the, the tough teams in the, in the conference. And hopefully by that time, we've got that line built up and everything like that. They know what they're doing. And they've got the, that momentum to roll into some of those, those bigger games on the back end. Yeah, I, I guess the I'm looking at it now, but. I guess the reason I was thinking maybe it was easier was, yeah, just because the way it starts, you get Buffalo, North Dakota, and Vanderbilt at home, and then at West Virginia, Texas at home, Kansas at home. I mean, that, there's a real possibility for a 6-0 start there. So if you could do that, then, yeah, like Eric said, you get some momentum. All of a sudden, yeah, you're going to have to end the year going to Oklahoma, hosting Oklahoma State, and then going to Baylor. But if you've got a really good record at that point, maybe those games get a little bit easier. Yeah. And at least the offensive line gets, you know, Josh Rebus is back. He's the guy that pro football focus liked the most. And I think that was a little surprising to a lot of casual fans, including myself. But we talked with Nick Leckie on his last podcast, and he was like, oh, yeah, I've been watching that guy. He's a beast. So hopefully he can kind of become the leader of that group. Yeah, he's good. And the coaches, I mean, they love Cooper Beebe. I've not seen him take a snap, but they won't shut up about how good they think he's going to be. So. That's at least, you know, a good start. And I've heard some chatter about Christian Duffy being all right. So, there's a, you know, there's at least a core there. I My question is just still tackle because there's really nobody just waiting there in the wings who's this big, long-armed guy who you can just see fitting in there. I'm not really sure what puzzle piece they're going to slip in there to make it work. Yeah. yeah. And then I guess last thing with football, kind of some big news uh, a few a couple weeks ago when – I can't remember his name right now, but the four-star quarterback who chose Kansas State over, you know, LSU, Penn State, a lot of other big schools. 
you know, you've been covering K-State a while, so maybe you can put into perspective, like, assuming he signs, which, you know, still a long way to go, but how big would that be for Kansas State? You know, how often does something like that happen? Well, not very often, and it's, it's Jake Rubley is his name from Colorado. If you're looking for another reason to like the guy, my wife actually found this out <laughs> by a friend of hers snooped around on his Instagram account, but apparently he's loosely related to Sylvester Stallone. His mom is uh, sisters with uh, his sister or cousin or something. There's a photo. There's a fo- if you go to his Instagram account, there's a photo of them together, and he's calling him Uncle Sly. So I mean, hey, maybe we get Sylvester Stallone in a game. Rocky, Rambo, that'd be pretty cool. But beyond that, I mean, just overall, there's not been a high-profile quarterback to commit to Kansas State like this since Josh Freeman when Ron Prince was here. That's really the only comparison I can make to it. They did get Arthur Brown. They got Bryce Brown, who were both five-star recruits, who obviously would be much higher ranked than Jake Rubley, but they came in as transfers. Right. So as as far as just a pure high school player coming here, this is, yeah, going back to Josh Freeman, probably the, at least the high, you know, which service, I think it's 24-7 sports has him as like the number 120 guy in the entire country, regardless right. of position. So they haven't had a guy like that since Freeman. They have had a few four-star guys. You know, I wouldn't say he's a, a slam dunk feature NFL quarterback just yet or anything. And like you said, he might still end up someplace else, but it's a very nice statement for Chris Kleiman to at least be able to to show other recruits as he's building for 2021 that look this is the you know this is the kind of caliber player we're bringing in and he might be a quarterback and he's going to be coming in at a time where they need a new quarterback. It's it, it was a big deal that was uh, that would rank up there with any any win they had this season in my mind. Yeah. yeah. And Eric, you know, I know you're in Colorado, so anything you can do within NCAA rules. (laughs) (laughs) So in other words, I'll just stay home. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So before we move on to basketball, uh, I got to ask, and Eric and I have talked about this. So so Kellis, I'll ask you, um, because I think you've sampled a few of them. What are your Memphis barbecue power rankings look like? Well, I'd probably put Central Barbecue one. That was my Mm -hmm. favorite. Good man. Um, I put rendezvous at the bottom. I've had that <laughs> yeah. two or three times now. I never liked it. Uh, maybe I just caught him on the bad days, but that's yeah. not, not a fan of the dry rub. Yeah, yeah, I didn't love it. Um, let's see. I had Germantown Commissary. That was all right. Maybe I put that at number two. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, let's see, what? Interstate, that's a place, right? Maybe put that at three. And I've had, eh, I can't really remember the name of the other places I've had, but honestly, the the best food I've had out there was fried chicken at Gus's. Gus's fried chicken, absolutely. (laughs) Yeah, so good. So good. They they have one in Kansas City, actually. Huh. I didn't realize that. I knew they got one in St. Louis now. Oh, man, nice. I'm going to have to start looking for those more. Yeah, I've I've been to the one in downtown Memphis and and the one in Austin. Okay. But, uh, oh, yeah. they got one in Austin too. Wow. See, yeah. I did not know that. Yeah. There you go. Yeah, and speaking of Austin, it's a good segue. You were there this last welcome. weekend. <laughs> yeah. Kansas State uh, did not look so great, particularly the start of that second half. You know, just I guess you know where is this basketball team at right now? Uh, are we seeing improvement? I mean. It's, Good progress. Uh, I mean, if you squint hard enough, maybe. (laughs) (laughs) 
I mean, I, I do like what I've seen from DeJuan Gordon. I think if they keep giving him playing time and maybe put him in the starting lineup, which Bruce hinted they might do against Tech, I think that would be a good good decision. You know, I like what the other two freshmen are doing, Montavious Murphy and Antonio Gordon. You know, Mur- Murphy already looks pretty solid down low. Antonio Gordon looks like he will have a good ceiling. So I, I like, uh, you know, it's, I like what they're bringing. It's just everything else is just so wildly inconsistent. You yeah. Just when you thought Xavier Sneed was starting to be that guy who would give you, you know, 15 to 20 points a game, he comes out and has a real clunker at Texas and they lose by 14. I'm not sure, you know, what Cartier Jada's job is on the team. Is he, uh, do they want him to score? Do they want him to pass? Do they want him to do something else? I, I'm still not sure, and we're 15 games into the season. So it's been a weird season. You could certainly argue they're not that far away. They've only lost by double digits twice. Change of play here yeah. or there, their record would be much better than it is. But at the same time, you know, this is their worst start in 18 years. So, um, And it's, it's all the older guys who are letting them down. So probably not going to turn around anytime soon, but you could always hope that if something does happen, maybe they turn into spoilers later and yeah. I mean, would you say to this point it's the worst Kansas State team you've seen while you've been covering? Yeah, I think so. I mean, the only other one you could – well, the well, the strange thing is the year that they uh, – you know, the only other time they had a losing record was the year they had to blow everything up when Marcus Foster was a sophomore, and you could just tell there mm-hmm. wasn't much roster cohesion. But when that team actually did bring it, and Marcus Foster had good games, and Wesley Wonder had good, good games. They, you know, they beat good teams. They they won eight right. games in the conference that year. They beat Kansas. They beat Iowa State. I remember late in that year, Bruce Weber going on a weird tangent about, you know, regardless of what their record is, he thought they deserved NCAA tournament consideration because they, <laughs> you know, if you ignored their losses, they had good wins. That's uh, how that works, right? You know, this team, this, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, this team's just a little different. You know, they're trying. Uh, they're, the locker room's tight. You can tell they're building towards something down the road. It's just not happening right now. But so it, yeah, I, I, that doesn't answer your question at all. I'm just totally different. <laughs> but uh, yeah, this. I mean, they're gonna have the worst record they've had. Yeah. Um, and I guess where I was going with that is that yeah, that other team, you know, had some good moments, but what did it mean? Nothing. They had to completely blow it up and start over the next year. This this team, I don't think they're gonna have to do that. They'll just say goodbye to the seniors or whoever else leaves, bring in a solid recruiting class and have a little bit of momentum going into next year. So the record will be worse, but when you look back at it over the course of time, I think people who really paid attention to things would not classify it as the worst. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of amazing. I was looking even you know the year after, I think it was the year after that, that season you just talked about when they went 5-13, and 13, but one of those wins was a 12-point win over number one Oklahoma. So, that's right. It's kind of even that. Yeah, team, and you know maybe this team has that in it in them. They're just so offensively challenged, uh, yeah. and the teams in this conference this year seem to love playing defense. So I, I don't know who they're gonna yeah. who well, they're gonna grab at this point. I mean, if there's ever a year for a bad K State team to be a number one team, it's this season. I mean, we've seen number one teams lose to some really bad teams, so you never know. That well, that, <laughs> that's right. And you know, Baylor are, are they number one now? Did Baylor get? I think they're uh, two. okay. Number two. Well, maybe Baylor will be number one by the time they play them. That would be something. They they do. T- Bruce Weber does tend to play them pretty good. So that would be yeah. Uh, that would be funny if that happened. Yeah, it's actually it's interesting looking at the poll. Uh, Baylor got more first place votes than Gonzaga, but Gonzaga oh, kept wow. the number one spot. So it's close, very close. Uh, but 
to go back to what you were saying about Juan Gordon, you know, I think you read about him today, and a lot of people were making a lot of, of Bruce's comment about he's stepping up and being the leader of this team, which seems like a big thing to say about a freshman, and honestly, kind of put some pressure on him. I feel like, but it, it also seems like a thing that Bruce wouldn't say if he didn't really believe it and believe that Juan could fulfill that. I don't know. What are your thoughts on that? No, I agree with you. I don't think he looks at it as he's putting any extra pressure on him. I think, if anything, Dijuan's um, maybe been uh, annoying him a little bit with just uh, how much he, you know, if he had more input, what he would do differently and maybe what some other players should be doing. I, I think, if anything, he was just maybe challenging some of the older guys because that's probably not great, uh, you know, for somebody like Xavier Sneed or Cartier Jada to hear that this freshman who just showed up on campus is, in the eyes of their coach, a better leader than they are. I, I kind of noticed that today when – so at, at a press conference today, they had Dijuan and Xavier sitting right next to each other. And I don't know that Xavier really loved getting questions about Dijuan's leadership and sitting there listening to uh, media asking, why, you know, Dijuan, what are you doing to lead this team? I, I think there might be, you know, a little bit of mind games in there. Bruce comes out and says something publicly, calls out the seniors a little bit. They come back and have some better games. Maybe that's what he was thinking, but I do think he's very impressed with Dejuan. I think he's made a lot of comparisons with him to Barry Brown, and I think by the time he's an upperclassman, I hope he follows. I think he hopes that he hopes Dejuan follows in the same footsteps. And I think if you're watching Dejuan Gordon play on a night-in, night-out basis and start picking a, picking apart the way he's playing the basketball game right now, you can tell the game's slowing down for him. Um, you know, the first couple games, you could see his athleticism. You could see what what kind of basketball player he has the, he has the potential to be. And I remember saying to my, I remember thinking to myself, you know, just after the uh, even the the atrocity that was the that that tournament down in Fort Myers was Dejuan Gordon. As soon as the game starts slowing down for him, is going to be a good basketball player. And the last couple games, I think we're starting to see the game slow down for him. Yeah, I think the other thing is early in the season he was just real hard on himself. Every time he would make a mistake, he was almost so hard on himself that he couldn't make it to the next play and Bruce would even have to pull him out and tell him to calm down. I think that's been part of the reason he's played better lately is just that he's starting to figure out, you know what, um, this team doesn't need me to do everything. If I'm, you know, if I'm out there for 25 minutes, I don't have to cram everything into three or four plays. And I think that's why he's been getting a little bit more consistent. Yeah. And Kellis, to go back to what you said about the seniors and maybe calling them out, I mean, Eric and I have kind of talked about it. It seems like they don't really have the personalities for that in some ways. And certainly nobody's expecting them to be Barry Brown. But, you know, are they capable of more leadership than they're showing right now? You know, maybe Xavier probably is. I don't, I don't know about McCall Maywe. He's just not much of a talker, period. So he's more of, you know, an example guy. But I don't know how much leadership really is the problem on this team. Yeah. I, I think it's just that. The, their skill sets just don't complement in the right way, or at least the way they're being used. Because, that, like, their best scorer is Xavier Sneed, but he's not really a, a give-me-the-ball-and-get-out-of-my-way kind of player. He needs somebody to set him up, and there's really no nobody out there looking to set him up on plays like Cam and Barry were last year. That's the, you know, that's the one thing they miss is that, you know, Barry Brown talked about his leadership, but the one thing he could do was, 
Uh, if a possession got down to 10 seconds, you could clear out. He would make something happen. Nobody stepped up and done that this year. And, you know, if, uh, if like, Pearson McAtee, the other senior, could come off the bench and be that guy, that would help. I mean, that's obviously not going to happen. But, yeah, until somebody steps up and does that, that's really what they're missing the most in my mind. You know, if we're talking about the – I'll call them the intangible things uh, about these guys – one of the things that really has kind of stuck out to me this year is it's it started with the leadership thing, right? You know, that's the that's the train everybody jumped on because, you know, that, that's something that's obvious. I think to me it's a little bit no, more nuanced than that. To me it feels like we have a group of guys that just haven't figured out how to win basketball games yet. You know, I think they know how to play, but when it comes down to crunch time – I don't think they. I don't think we have a group of guys that have a mindset of you know. It's not about playing defense, and it's not about shooting the right shot or anything like that. At the end of the day, it's about winning a basketball game, and there's just a little bit different effort or a little different, a little different approach to it that I don't see these guys taking. These guys pl- go out and play for 40 minutes, and if they're up at the end of the game, hooray, we got to win. And that and knowing how to go win a basketball game are two really different things. And these guys, I'm not going to say that they're not going to get there by the end of the season because, frankly, it took Cam and Barry and Dean three years to figure it out. But these guys, I just don't think know how to win a basketball game. I felt like we saw a glimpse of that against Tulsa, and I think Bruce was hoping that that would lead to something, but it never really did. Uh, well, it hasn't yet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I wanted to talk about Cartier. You know, you talked about him a little bit. He's had his struggles. I guess he's maybe the closest thing that K-State has to a guy who can kind of create his own offense, although he's not always great with it. But then you got David Sloan coming off the bench, who is almost polar opposite of Cartier as a point guard, it seems like. And I've even seen some K-State fans, I don't necessarily agree, but, you know, saying that, that David Sloan should be the starter should get more playing time. You know, what are your thoughts on that? And as, as, especially as he started to shoot a little better the last two games, is his stock going up right now? Uh, well, in my mind it is. In the minds of some Key State fans it is. I just don't know that it is in Bruce Weber's mind. It doesn't really seem like he's all that interested in playing David Sloan unless Cardi's in foul trouble. And they didn't particularly play all that good against Texas when he did use them together in the second half. There were actually some possessions when they actually passed the ball together. It was just in terrible situations and really bogged down the offense. So, you know, it seems like a good fix. You move uh, move David to the one, put Cardi at the two, and let him create a little bit more and let David distribute, and voila, everything's fixed. You know, there, there was the one game where David played really well against St. Louis, and he had eight assists, I think. If he could bring that every game, then yeah, sure, I think it's it's worth a try. But, uh, you know, the, the other question is, do you, do you keep playing Mike McGurl over Dejuan Gordon? If he's going to hit 40% of his threes like he was earlier in the year, then yes. But if he's going to shoot like he has the last three games, then I think, heck no. There are definitely some roster changes you could make, or at least lineup changes you could make here. And Bruce has said, you know, if they don't, they don't progress, eventually he would consider making those changes. It kind of makes you wonder when, uh, you know, when is that point? When is the line of stand for him where he actually says, okay, let's try something else? Yeah. Well, I mean, talk, it's interesting that you brought up Mike McGurl there because we were having a little bit of an offline conversation after the Texas game where I I actually posited that we're starting five guys and three of them are not Division One starters. You know, you can make an argument that Cartier and Xavier are obvious choices for Division One starters, and and Murphy will get there. Um, I don't think he's quite there yet. You know, if there was a more able-bodied 
big guy in front of him, he'd probably be he'd probably be coming off the bench. But to be honest with you, outside of outside of Cartier and Xavier and and Murphy to a certain extent, the rest of our starting five is is not a Division One Power Five conference starting lineup. It just isn't. And me personally, it almost starts. It, it's almost starting to feel like, especially with the comments that uh, Bruce made about Dejuan, is where he's kind of biding his time until Dejuan's ready to go. And then I think, I would think that might get swapped out for Dejuan at some point this season. Yeah. And I've kind of begun to wonder at what point do you think about just going younger with hopes of building for the future? Because, sure. I mean, I know, I know you owe it to guys, uh, you know, seniors who've been here to try to win as much as you can now, but uh, at some point, if you start the conference season 0 and 6, I mean, what's the harm in starting just one instead of Mike? What's the the harm in going, uh, you know, maybe small and uh, getting David on the floor or swapping out McCall Maywean for, uh, you know, even Levi's younger? You could go Antonio and uh, Montavious together. Um, mm-hmm. I'm almost, I, I, I mean, if I were coaching the team, I, I would be thinking about that right now. Is these are the guys who are playing harder? There's at least a future with them. Maybe we get them more minutes. Yeah, that's a that's a really good idea. And it, on the surface, and and honestly, if you start diving diving into it, it's how do you handle that? I think it'd be a great idea to get these younger guys some a little bit more experience and see how how quickly we can get them to develop. I do, and why why I say I think it's important how that would get handled is because I do think there's a at least I see the value in making those younger guys earn their minutes as opposed to just being an option because we're playing like crap, you know, and I, and I'm not saying there's a, I think there's a difference between quote unquote paying your dues and earning your minutes. I, I want to see them earn their way onto the floor. And if they can do that, then great. Let's run those young guys up and down the floor as soon as we can, but they, they really need to earn it as opposed to it handed to them because we're not getting anywhere with who, with who we currently have. Yeah. And you mentioned McCormick Wayne, and it surprised me to see that he has started, I think, every single game of his Kansas State career. It's kind of an amazing stat. But, you know, and so it would be interesting to see how he would respond to being benched. But also, it kind of brings up the question, and I think it's a little bit of both, but would you say, you know, the fact that he started every game is more that, you know, Bruce believes in him and, and thinks he's a better player than he is, or is it? an indictment on the other options that Kansas State has in the post. Yes. <laughs> uh, I mean, well, look at the guys who are behind him, and there's your answer. Right. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I don't I don't want to speak poorly of anybody, but, uh, you know, Levi Stockard's been, what, serviceable off the bench at best. It won great and, game. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, hey, great to get to St. Louis. Hey, heck of a game that night. And I don't I, – I mean, I mean – James Love and Nigel Shad have been here forever. I couldn't tell you a thing about either one of them. They never played. So, I mean, well, James, James Love's been hurt his entire career. So, yeah. well, it's, I mean, it's an awful way to think about things, but for those guys to eat up two spots, uh, two scholarships on the roster this long, I mean, it's kind of impressive. I can't really think of two other players who've uh, been here under Bruce who just, you know, were either perpetually hurt or not good enough to play. It's, it's been really, really strange. <laughs> And that's probably why Mac has started every single game. He he has had his moments. I mean, he'll always have the game where he what did he score twenty nine or something against yeah. KU at the Hill tournament. But that's just all, almost makes it more agonizing that you see what he's capable of in certain situations. And then now as a senior, he's just not progressed or improved in the ways you you would hope he would have. 
it's it's interesting that you said uh, that you said that about Mac because I know there's been a lot of consternation about Mac and how he's been playing lately or lack thereof. And I want to be I want to make sure that uh, I think there's some clarity to saying he's not getting worse. He's just not getting better. But the expectations because he's got more experience is that he should be getting better. And that gap is just continually widening and widening to the point now where it's 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 a problem. Yeah. The the one theory I've heard about that is that, you know, that the reason he's not looking any better is that after all those years, well, at least the only theory that makes sense to me is that after all those years playing with Cam and Barry, maybe those guys knew how to get him the ball in spots a little bit better than Cardi and David and these other guys do. And maybe that does have something to do with it because when he has been effective this season, it's when he's completely set, not moving. They throw him the ball, and then he makes a post move. And he's, you know, he scores probably more than half the time in those situations, even though he maybe looks awkward doing it. It's, uh, But this year, there's been a lot of times we're throwing him lobs or bounce passes. They're trying to hit him on the run. And he's not a, you know, he's not a NFL tight end. He just doesn't have the hands to catch those passes. And I think his teammates are a little bit of the reason why he's not looking any better. But at the same time, yeah, you would have, you would have liked to see some more progression than you have. I just don't think he plays very well with contact, to be honest with you. And, you know, I, I, I won't go so far as to say I could guard him because I would be giving up three or four inches to the guy. But if what, what I've seen is if you, if you put a body on him, he's, just, he's pretty much ineffective, both from a rebounding and from, a, from an offensive perspective. It's just, you know, he, uh, if you look at his scoring, a lot of his scoring is garbage points. A lot of his scoring is stuff where we got some print penetration or something like that and a little dump off where he didn't have to score through contact. If we had a very finesse game in the paint, I think he would be he would probably look a lot better, but that's just not the way that's not the way Bruce has this offense designed to run and that's just not the way of frankly modern basketball at this point. You know, the guy sitting on the block needs to be able to handle some contact. Yeah, well, he's never made a move or a finish where he was like, whoa, you know, (laughs) he's he's just not that guy. Yeah. Well, another question, so I wanted to ask you, Kellis, it has been nice, K-State shooting less three-pointers the last two games. They've actually taken less in those two games combined than they did against Oklahoma when they shot 37 for the first time in program history in a regulation game. But I don't know, it kind of brings up the question, again, that Eric and I talk about this a lot, like, why did teams not play zone all the time against Kansas State? <laughs> I've been wondering that for four years. I really have. <laughs> I, I don't know. And you saw, you know, Oklahoma did it. They waited until the last five minutes of the game, but as soon as they did it, their fortunes changed. So, yeah, it's bizarre. I would, uh, if I was an opposing coach, I would put a zone out there and just say, we're going to use this until you beat it. I guess the only maybe counter argument I have for that is that there have been times where they've known going into the game that they absolutely were going to see nothing but zone, um, like against Baylor. Mm-hmm. Um, they've been okay at it. And I don't know if, if you give this team a whole week to prepare for something, maybe that makes a difference. But it seems like every time it's been any kind of a surprise, it's just really, really bothered them. And, I mean, it really all just goes back to there's no shooters on this team when we're talking about Mike McGurl being the only real consistent three-point threat, and he's not all that good, and that shows you where where the situ you know where the problem is. I've just I've just always kind of wondered why um, 
this coaching staff doesn't seem to value shooting all that much when they look at recruits. They want size. They want guys who can play defense. They want people who can finish and, you know, be the, you know, the right kind of guy in the locker room. But it seems like shooting has just never really been high on their priority list. And it's probably the reason why they've never been all that good against zone. Wasn't Bruce saying come into the season that we we're supposed to have a good three point shooting team this year? <laughs> he did, he did say that. He's, he also said that they would might, they might play more up tempo and, uh, <laughs> They're not – they've only scored 60 in one Big 12 game. So <laughs> I think that's one of those things he says every year. Yeah, yeah. So uh, I'm just going to wind you down here, put you on the spot. Where does K-State's next win come? And just as a reminder, the schedule coming up is Texas Tech at home, which honestly I think K-State has a better chance than some people are giving them in that game, but still a tough game. Then West Virginia at home, at KU, at an Alabama team that's been pretty decent this season. OU at home, but then at West Virginia, Baylor at home before you finally get Iowa State and Oklahoma State. So what do you think? Um, well, their best, I mean, their easiest game of that stretch is Oklahoma State on February 11th. But, boy, that is a long time to wait. I actually think they'll get, you know, I'm with you. I actually think they've got a puncher's chance against Texas Tech because that's going to be such a low-scoring game. I mean, it'll be hard, but if they score 60, I'd I, shoot if they score 60 i think they win i i think uh i'll say i'll say they win again this month i i say at least they be oklahoma at home okay yeah that's that's what i'd say too i you know i, I think we got a chance against texas tech at home after that i think the the next one that wouldn't just come out of left field let's put it that way would be ou at home yeah well and to, to end on a positive note we do have some good news for kansas state basketball today they picked up the transfer from UTEP. Uh, Kellis, I'm going to let you go ahead and handle the pronunciation on that name. Well, his first name is Casey. As weird as that sounds, it's normal. It's an American pronunciation. Casey, I'm not quite sure on his last name yet. Casey Azigwu, let's say that. Uh, <laughs> okay. He, uh, and, you know, he, he looks like he could maybe be a slightly bigger vision of McCall Maywean. He They like him for defense. <laughs> We'll see if he can evolve as an offensive player, but he led UTEP in blocks as a freshman. So for a six ten yeah. guy to uh, to do that, that's say hey, that's something. At least yeah. uh, they'll know what they'll be getting with him. Yeah. So I made a joke on Twitter about how maybe Dan and Nemo could help out with recruiting, and there's a UTEP <laughs> fan that responded, "Hey, how about you guys just take Dan and Demo back, and we'll call it even." You can have him. Wow. <laughs> wow. Oh man. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Good, good well, there, how many games has he won at UTEP now? Is he up to? Is he up to three? I'm not sure. It's two or three. It's, uh, they might have yeah. three wins. Yeah. Well, I think that about covers everything. Uh, Eric, you got anything else? No, I'm, my mind's good and blank. I think we covered it all. Um, you know, the, the trip to Memphis was fun. Uh, my wife and I did it in a whopping 36 hours. We were just like, let's get in, get out, and go check out the game. It was decidedly different than when we played Arkansas a couple years ago there because yeah. there were not many Navy fans. Well, I mean, and, and understandably so compared to an, an SEC team like uh, Arkansas. But, you know, we went out, like when we were going out to dinner and things like that, it was pretty much, there was a handful of Navy fans here and there, but for the most part, it was all K-State in Memphis. So, uh, so that was, that was a lot of fun. And honestly, with basketball, 
I'm just like, I, at this point, I just want to see him keep competing and I want to see him keep trying and I want to see the freshmen come along. I think we know the season's pretty much a lost cause at this point, save for a few, you know, fun moments uh, where we might upset a team here or there. And it's unfortunate for, uh, it's un- unfortunate for X as a, as a senior to go out on a, a note like that. At the end of the day, I think, you know, long term, let's, you know, let's really forget about what's going on in the individual minutes of the games this year and just make sure that we're, we're progressing towards, towards the end of the year and next year. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, and then Kelly, I guess I did um, want to ask, we were talking about recruiting and you, you mentioned today that Bruce actually noted he's hoping to add a wing and a big man, which brings up the question then, who are the most likely candidates on the K-State roster to leave and make room for those potential new guys? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, they're one over, so when I asked that question, I thought he would say, yeah, you know, yes, or oh, we'll see. I didn't think he'd be quite so honest as to say, yeah, we're going to go three over the limit. Um, so, yeah, they're definitely having some – going to have some people leave this year. I think, obviously, the most uh, likely two candidates would be the guys we talked about, James Love and Nigel Shad, if, uh, yeah. if they want to play they're going to have to do it somewhere else. I just, I mean, they might be great guys, but I just don't see them starting or really even playing more than five minutes in the game here. So those would be two guys. And then the other thing that I'm kind of interested in is does, uh, does Cartier Jada, does he look to play, play pro somewhere next season? He's not going to be destined for the NBA by any means, but he's been, you know, he'll have graduated. He'll have been here four years. He's one of those guys who could maybe make the G league or earn some money overseas. So that that would also be something I keep an eye on. Yeah. yeah. Okay. All right. Well, Kellis, I always appreciate having you on. Uh, people can follow you on Twitter, Kellis Robinette uh, with two T's. Obviously, Kansas City Stars, Wish Eagle, real stuff there. So uh, thanks a lot for joining us. Yeah. Always a pleasure, guys. Thanks for uh, thanks for having me on. So yeah. I know. I